Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to another edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss and to round off season one of The Avengers, we're very lucky. We've got an interview with what I think many people would consider to be the de facto published authority on The Avengers. It's Mr. Dave Rogers. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, Dave. My pleasure, Ken. Uh, Well, first and foremost, I suppose the very obvious question is, I'm guessing that you've always been a fan of The Avengers, but how did you come to research your first book? Uh, Because that was, I think that was The Avengers in 1983, your first Yeah, it was, single, yeah, black cover. It was simply called The Avengers. It's a very long, complicated story. What what really happened is I, I was a painter and decorator, never written a thing in my life. And I fell from the ladder and finished up in hospital in a plaster cast for 10 months. Obviously, boredom set in. So I thought, well, you know, I must do something sitting here every day, blah, blah, blah. And I'd always made a point. I don't know why. Perhaps it was prudence and it was meant to happen. But I'd always filled in any new program on TV. I'd got an exercise book and I always wrote in title of the program, stars of the program, the date it began, the date it ended, changes in the cast, practically all my life. And I just liked the Avengers. I'd always watch the Avengers and thought, good, great program. So I basically thought, I know what I'll do. Sorry, no, let me jump back there. I went out for a drink with a mate and we were sitting in the pub discussing this and a bloke who'd never met in my life basically turned to me and said, excuse me, you talking about the Avengers television program? I said, yes, I am. He said, can't do that, mate. I said, can't do what? He said, I didn't, you mention a fanzine. And he knew what a fanzine was. And I said, yes, I did. He said, he can't do that. And I said, why not? He said, the Avengers is copyright. I said, copyright? What, what's that all about? And he said, my advice is if you really want to do it, speak to someone who owns the product or in the company who owns the product and take it from there. And I did. I rang and, and spoke to a gentleman named Bud Payton, who you'll see a credit for in every single book I did, because he was he was a kind old chappy, and he put me on the road, basically, to, to, to being an author. Anyway, couldn't a very long story short. I visited, visited him in London. He looked at the notes I'd given him, etc., and he said, no, nah, sorry, mate, this is none. I said, what do you mean? He said, no, I can't. What's this fancy nonsense? It's for young kids, isn't it? You know, no. <laughs> If you can get a book out of this, I'll back you 100%. I said, a book? How the hell do I start writing a book? But anyway, I did. And then we'll cut through all the chaff of my basically speaking to TV Times, who eventually published the book. Uh, But there was a guy in, in, in TV Times who actually controlled me, and he was my editor to some degree. He accepted the book, and I'll tell you his name. His name was Neil Tennant. What, the Neil Tennant from... The Neil Tennant. And I waited 10 weeks for a reply from Neil Tennant after we'd agreed that I'd do the book and didn't get one. So I rang TV Times and spoke to someone. They said, oh, Neil left us. He's gone and formed some band or other. I think he'll be back in a couple of months. (laughs) And that was basically it. The book was published in... 1983, and it, it was a huge success. I mean, I, w- I wish every book I'd written sold as many copies as book one did. You know, it did fantastic sales. Well, I've actually got a copy of it right in front of me, and uh, my co-host, Simon Exton, he's got the Ultimate Avengers from 1995. Yeah. There was also the Complete Avengers in 1989, wasn't there? Yeah, they're right. It was the Avengers, the Avengers Anew, which basically dealt with the new Avengers, 
Complete Avengers, Ultimate Avengers. But you've also, in 2021, you've just published Stay Tuned to the Avengers, uh, which yeah, has I had have, some yeah. lovely online reviews. How did that one come about? Basically, a guy named Mark Witherspoon, who the Avengers fandom will know very well indeed, uh, he just rang me and he said, listen, I love your magazine. Now, we're talking a magazine that I published two, 35 years ago, you know, and I said, oh, that's good. Thank you very much. He said, and I'd like to take the best of and do it as a book. Are you interested? And I thought, oh my God, after all this time, in between time, incidentally, my wife and I had lived in Turkey for 10 years. So basically, I'd, I'd written off doing any more books, any more research, whatever. But it simply clings to me like a mollusk. It won't go away. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that to any detrimental effect. I mean, obviously, I'm very, very proud and very humbled that it still sticks around with, with the name Dave Rogers after all these years. Well, we're terribly grateful because as a, a companion to the, the series, they're all marvellous pieces of work. The researcher, Alan Hayes, has been absolutely invaluable for our podcast with his bits and pieces. He's published as well on, on other things such as Police Yes, indeed. He's a very nice guy and he does a superb job. That's a man who sounds like he's been very dedicated to his cause. Um, oh, indeed. We've also we've come across a, a splendid website by a chap called Piers Johnson called Mrs. Peel Were Needed, and that is filled with minutiae. Uh, but reading between the lines, it sounds like there was paperwork which was found in the 80s and subsequently lost again. Now, is that right, or am I misreading the situation? Um, I'm not quite certain. Let me just say up front, you mentioned Alan, Alan Hayes. He was kind enough to ask me to do a foreword for, for one of his books. I think it was called The Avengers and Me or something like that. You know, lovely book, absolutely superb book. But he was very complimentary and very kind to me because in, in his foreword, to my foreword, basically, his introduction, he basically dotted the I's and crossed the T's to the effect that it's very simple for him, i.e. us, if you like, today's society. Press a button, instantly you're on the internet, you can check anything today. That wasn't the case when I did the first book. My wife and I, and we live in Stoke-on-Trent, my wife and I used to travel to London twice weekly for three weeks, and we'd, we were shelled into, a, I can only describe it as a dark dungeon. <laughs> we went two steps, to, well, we went on the ground, and I was given the key to a lock, just a standard everyday lock, unlock that, took away the chain, opened this metal door, etc., and we were in a room that was running with water down the walls, and we thought, oh, my God, and there were metal cabinets there. So we pulled open the metal cabinet, joy upon joy, all the Avengers archive of all the pictures. The only problem with that is because of the damp atmosphere, a lot of them were stuck together and useless. You simply couldn't use them. Same with files. We found lots of files there that basically formed the backbone of the book. But it was hit and miss as to what we could use because, again, one piece of paper became six, all stuck together with the damp and the moisture. So it's, the research was the hardest part. The writing, once you've got the research done, of course, writing the books are pretty simple. Anyone can do it. But it's the research that counts. And all I can say about all today's authors, God bless them, and I've always said this, they always acknowledge me, and I'm thankful for that because, of course, prior to 1983, when, I, when we published The Avengers, no book on TV had ever been published in the UK. A few bits and pieces, I think, on Doctor Who by the BBC, but it was a brand new venture for publishers. And mm. as I said earlier, my first book sold 44,000 copies, believe it or not. 
I can, and I can understand that there was an appetite for it back then because there's, there's certainly a, a huge one now. Uh, Archive TV is a, it's a big thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, indeed, yeah. And, of course, you've got today. It, uh, anyone can publish today, which which has been proven over and over. Everyone's publishing their own books today. So I was more than happy when Mark came forward and said, I love the magazine. Can we publish so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so? And we may be we may be publishing the second volume because there's still a lot to be said on the new Avengers, and of course, God bless us, the film. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the film does tend to get a, a little bit of derision for uh, not it being entirely. <laughs> I mean, as you probably as you probably know, Ken, I I did a magazine for Titan uh, uh, on the movie and etc. So I was sitting in Jeremiah Chetik, the director, of course, sitting in his office, and he was called away for something. He said, "Look, I'll give you something to watch." And he pressed a button, and I just sat there enthralled by what was passing by on screen, none of which appeared in the final print of the Avengers, <laughs> you know, which is crazy, because what I saw, and I came back, I actually published it in one of the magazines. I did the review and basically said, this movie's going to be massive, and that movie should have been maybe... 120 minutes, somewhere 119, 120 minutes, I think. And it came in at less than 90, so you can tell. Why they did this, I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. But they, they crucified a very, very nice piece of work. From what I can gather, there is a, a much longer cut of the movie that was, well, obviously there was. It's still... Oh, I'm, as I'm of, sure there is. As of you know, 2022, I mean, it's not been made available, and I think that is crying out for a new cut. Yeah, sure. Well, that's exactly what I proposed. Well, not proposed, but I basically said to them, look, you're sitting on a gold mine. You know, people want to see the original. It may be still be a bad movie. I don't consider it to be a bad movie, but it may be a bad movie. But at the end of the day, you're going to sell literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of DVDs. But Warner Brothers, of course, you know, do they need the money? Unfortunately, what we've found is that although there's a, a very enthusiastic fan base for the Avengers, it's quite niche nowadays. It's not oh, the, yes. the behemoth that it was back in the, the 60s and to an extent the 70s. And that's mm. a shame, really, because I'm coming to the Avengers quite new. Simon, my, my podcasting partner, he's always been, he knows the Avengers inside out. So I'm coming to it with a fresh set of eyes. And this is my, this is my journey, exploring the background of it. And series one mm. has been an absolute delight for me because mm. all sorts of bits and pieces of, of television minutiae are coming out. And I'm fascinated by all this, but I'm in a very niche bracket, unfortunately. And there's, uh, the big studios aren't interested in niche. They want big well, that's right. That's right. They want everything. They want everything Marvel and DC today. Everything that's being made as a special effect, surrounded with a small story. Just going back to the archive that you found, was that a complete archive? Well, I, t I presume it was an ABC or an ATV archive that you found, was it? No, no. People tend to overlook the fact that um, Series 6 of the Avengers, i.e. the Patrick McNeil, Linda Thorson series, was co-produced by Thames. Thames TV, they put money into the product, otherwise it wouldn't have continued after when Diana Rigg left. And so the, the archive that I went to for the photographs, and I can also tell you that all the scripts were there, every single script in the Avengers, but then maybe five or eight years after that, the scripts had disappeared for some reason. But no, that was a Thames archive, and it was simply a room under some building. You know, we went down two flights of stairs and faced with this metal door, uh, that was just padlocked, etc. And once you opened that, there were three cabinets in there, and that was the total 
the total archive, if you like, for the Avengers. They had nothing else. It's been very, very shabbily treated archive-wise down the years, unfortunately. We've come to the conclusion that things just weren't viewed with historical hindsight back then. It wasn't seen that these were going to be worth anything to anybody in the future. They were just Mm. stuff. And it's a, it's a reasonable, it's, it's quite understandable. It's a, why, why should something be considered a classic? You've, you're not going to have any idea. But obviously you've interviewed quite a lot of people over the years. Is oh, there anybody yeah. that you've not managed to conduct an interview with? I'm, I'm guessing Ian Hendry. Um, well, you just mentioned Ian. I didn't interview Ian. I met Ian with Patrick McNeer, Patrick's This Is Your Life, and we had a nice chat. A lovely fella, absolutely smashing chap. But you've just mentioned the archives. There are, I think, let's see, 26 prints minus four. I think there are 22, yes, 22 prints of the Ian Hendry series missing. I've always believed, and I'll acknowledge this again, I've acknowledged it in the book that you have before you, I think, this um, Stay Tuned to the Avengers. My opinion on that is that they, at one time, I went to, um, I think it was Lumia, who owned the product at the time, went to a guy named Martin Bigham, who was their controller of product, etc., and basically said, listen, Martin, I've got an idea from what I've been told and what I've gathered and some paperwork that I've had down the years, that there's a possibility that the Honor Blackman and the Ian Henry Prince of the Avengers are still on 16 mil, and they're in an Australian archive. And I designated the archive, which apparently was on a, a railway terminus. Uh, no, what do you call um, where, the, where the trains go to die, basically? <laughs> oh, I forgot what it You know, I mean, they send them, they just, they're shunting yard, yeah, etc. Yeah. And that was the archive. The idea was, he said, well, if, if you believe that, then there's obviously other material there. So I'll tell you what he did, and this is gospel truth. He contacted BBC, contacted Thames TV, Yorkshire TV, etc., etc., and volunteered the idea that perhaps someone, it may not have been me, but possibly would have been me, should be sent to Australia with the right, correct authority from everyone to go in the archive, spend a week or two weeks there, etc., list what they found, not physically see what they found, but list what they found, and then we could pull them back. Not one company was interested, so it never happened. That was going to be a, a subsequent question. It was for a long time believed that some of Series 1 was transmitted live and therefore never recorded, but there is yes. there is yeah. good documentation that they were all recorded uh, on yeah, Ampex exactly. tapes. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I, I dispute that because, to my knowledge, every single one was telecined, as they called it. In other words, it went out live, but they made a telecine copy from the camera as it, as it played. So that's always been my understanding. Well, even the live ones, we've got even the, the number of the Ampex tapes that they were recorded onto, and they were biked around the regions for yeah. repeat. So yeah. from looking at the research and, and what other people have done, it seems fairly obvious that they were all recorded. Um, oh, I'm convinced they were, yes. So as a, as a logical follow-up to that, do you believe that they are still out there on film transfers then? Yes, I think. Well, obviously, I think the fact that three have been found says it all. Yeah, they they're somewhere. But at the time, you can imagine the disappointment because I had this in documentation, and it was from a company called um, Global TV, who were the company responsible for shipping them to Australia on behalf of the TV companies and then bringing them back. Apparently, they were a very slack company. And one story I was given, which is horrific, but nevertheless, this is what I was told. They came in cages, obviously, because film would have been in round 60-millimeter containers. Quite difficult to to parcel up, I suppose. But 
they came in huge cages, and apparently they weren't collected. From whom? I don't know. But one cage of all these 60-millimeter prints weren't collected. Three days later, they just dumped them in the harbor. They just physically thought, well, no one's collecting them. There's nothing to do with bang. And, you know, so <laughs> it's a terrible story, isn't it? My head's but, in my hands here. This is, uh, we, over the years, there have been, I'm hoping they're apocryphal, but there have been several stories of television archives being destroyed in civil oh, wars. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. You know, certainly vast chunks of believed to be missing Doctor Who has been destroyed. Yeah. And yeah. as a, an archive television fan, your heart just dies a little at that moment. Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, again, when I said, well, 83, my first book was published, when we started the research, which would probably be around about October 82, no one knew anything or no one was prepared to say anything. And I got very pally with the EMI archives, as they then were at Elstree, very, very pally with the group of people who were in charge there. And I used to go down either myself or with a friend at least every third week. And we'd sit in the library and we'd just look along the racks and look what was there, etc. And I never, ever, ever knew or understood and no one ever confirmed in that time, at that time period, that the Honor Blackman episodes were physically there on 60 mil prints. No one knew them. No one wanted them. They were an archive product. They were, they were 16 mil telecine prints. Who the hell is going to watch that? But the second they realized that they'd got a winner on their hands with the Diana Riggs series, of course, which kicked off the big, you know, the big fandom mm. of, the, of the Avengers, then they, a guy named John Heron, who was in charge of the library, said, Dave, come with me. Look, what about all this lot? And I just looked and I said, how many are there, John? He said, 52. It's the Honor Blackman shows. They were catalogued in the library, but no one had even considered them or, or, or requested them or handled them in years. And this is the problem with the industry. To store archival material, such a, particularly such as film, which takes an awful lot of room, because one film, people forget, one film can be five reels. Mm. So that's five reels on a shelf. takes an awful lot of room, and thereby it costs an awful lot of money. So let's use Warner Brothers as an example. So if, if they own the rights to, let's say, Joe Bloggs walks down the street, the series, uh, but they've just done a brand new blockbuster film and they need shelf space, that Joe Bloggs and his co get thrown away or moved to one side to store the new material, the material that's making a profit for them, which is perfectly understandable, but not at the expense of throwing stuff away. No, and, and that's uh, unfortunately why we've lost so much over the years is mm. is purely for space. In the early days, it was because videotape was so expensive, mm. they would reuse it. But sure. there are other stories. I think it was uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. They offered to buy the tapes and replace the tapes so that they weren't wiped, and the BBC wouldn't accede to that uh, as a request. No, no. Yeah, uh, and you just think it's uh, Galton and Simpson. They were another one. I think they they somehow yeah. procured. The uh, I think it's the Steptoe and Sons. And yep, so correct. Comp- it shouldn't have been done, but thank goodness they did. Yeah. I'll give you another example, again, re- relating to the Avengers. That Linda Thorson made three episodes. You'll know this, of course. Linda Thorson and Patrick Manny made three episodes before, basically, Brian Clemens and Albert Fennell and Laurie Johnson came back and put the series back on its legs, so to speak. Linda herself actually has always said that she thinks they were destroyed. Well, my argument to this has always been, because this is one thing I was told throughout the entire time I was working in the industry, 
Companies throw away obsolete broken frames on film, etc. They'll get rid of material that is valueless to a degree. But no company on God's earth will throw away a negative. And they would have been on negatives because the way it worked, they were shot obviously filmed, then it was thrown on a master neg, then from that negative prints were done. So somewhere there's a negative. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And I, I thought I was on the track about nine months ago. I, I chased up and I'm still chasing up to a degree. I've got friends still in the industry, thank goodness. And I'm, I'm still trying to find out what happened to an archive that I know existed because I was in that archive and worked in that archive for the best part of an afternoon it's gone. And I want to know what's happened to all the material there. This is the way it works. I suppose, basically, what I'm saying is the expense of storing film always outweighs throwing this away to make room for that. It's a terrible shame, but that's the way the industry is. Yeah, it's one of those things that we try not to think about too much, because if you concentrate hard enough, you'll just end up in tears with what has been oh, lost sure. what could yeah, be out there sure. and and what we could be lo- the thing that we always say is that there will be people out there who granddad had off-air recordings of such and such a thing might even have done audio recordings reel-to-reel yeah. recordings from which a lot of people did in the 60s and, and going back to the 50s yeah oh uh, i've got some stuff from the 60s and the, the, they die and unfortunately the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren see no value in this box of old tapes and they're just put in a skip and we just wonder how often that, how, how many times a week that's happening up and down the country. Mm. Well, I was one of the first people, I think, certainly in Stoke-on-Trent, I probably did in Newcastle, Stoke-on-Trent, to buy one of the old Betamax. Oh, you a know, splendid format, yes. Yeah, and of course I, I taped a lot, whether I've still got any material left, I'm not certain, but I taped everything. There wasn't a night that went by that I didn't take some show or other. But, of course, they, they weren't around in the, in the Henry period. No, I think the first commercial video recorder was, it was late 60s, and they were mm. ruinously expensive. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame. It's, it's a thing that bleeds my heart terribly, because I've been given leads to various things down the years that most fans obviously don't know about, and I never speak about, because there's no point in mentioning them unless you can produce something to back up your argument. And of course, when we moved to Turkey, a lot of the paperwork, I had, well, I just got rid of it. There was no point in, in taking box after box after box of paperwork relating to whatever, to all the way to Turkey. So there's always a possibility that while you and I are talking now, you may put down the phone, I may put down the phone, and someone will ring one of the two of us and say, hey, guess what? I've just found a missing here and Henry print. It's that simple. They're out there somewhere. They have to be. Well, that's something to give us hope, because uh, we, we've come to the same conclusion that two, I mean, certainly two turned up at the UCLA in Cali. Why they yes. ended up there, they weren't even sold there, we don't know, but it does give us hope that they're yeah. out there. Mm. Again, I'll give, you, I'll give you an instance of that. As I say, I've, me- I've mentioned the archive, the television archive with John Heron. I was there one day and looking, and I said, John, just come here, what, what's this? And he said, what? I said, you don't own these prints. I said, what are they? I said, they're cowboy prints from the 60s. There was a Bronco with Ty Harden, a Cheyenne with Clint Eastwood. There was, I think there was a 77 Sunset Strip. And he said, well, they, they probably just come back and, and a, a bunch of our stuff. And they've been, you know, they've been shoved in, etc. And I said, but what happens to them? He said, nothing. Till we need shelf space, then we'll throw them away. Oh. Yeah. 
But that's what happens, you see. As I say, I've mentioned Global TV. They were responsible in that period for shipping everything all over the world on behalf of the television companies. And then obviously when the contract was finished, they would bring them back. They were apparently they were a very very slack company and and didn't it didn't matter to them if fourteen prints belonged to Weintraub and six to Warner Brothers but Weintraub got sixteen prints and Warner Brothers four i they lost two and put them in the wrong container whatever why would it you know they they fulfill their obligation to get them back to the UK and in the archive but that's the basic sin if you like of the industry is this business that and it's understandable i've mentioned the fact that it obviously costs a lot of money storage a lot of money it's getting easier now because obviously we're in the digital age mm. so you can you can store 15 dvds where you would have you have space for one film but it's a sin that this happens but it, it isn't just with the avengers or just with the doctor who it's every film company. Yorkshire TV had some of the best product ever on television in the late 60s, 70s. They've got nothing. Funnily enough, I've just been reading about this in the past few days, the, the different archiving policies for the different regional companies. Uh, mm. I understand there is now a complete set of um, Coronation Street. Granada were quite good at, at archiving. Yeah, Granada have always been good, I must admit, yes. They've always been good. I've had a lot of material down there as good to see Granada, yeah. With regards to the missing scripts, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Were there a complete set of scripts? Obviously, there were that have been whittled down over the years for some reason. But are you familiar or are you interested at all in the Big Finish audio adaptations? Have you heard any of those? And if so, what do you think? Well, yes, they're very good because obviously one of them was mine. I I did a book called Too Many Targets with John Peel, an American friend, American co-author, etc. And Big Finish published it. And it's lovely to hear your written word actually spoken by someone. Mm. It's, it really is a big jolt to the, you know, to the, to the nervous system, but it's a nice jolt because you suddenly realize, hey, I did that. I, I wrote that dialogue, which was changed, obviously, you know, to get the program onto a two-hour spot, I think it is. But nevertheless, yes, it's wonderful. Big Finish are doing a splendid job. I, I, at the moment, I understand that... Um, Sam Clemens, Brian Clemens, you, you obviously know Brian Clemens. Mm. Uh, Sam Clemens is doing the Avengers scripts or the Avengers comic strips, I think, at the moment. Yes, that's right. Uh, and yeah. apparently they're doing extremely well. Yeah, they've, they've taken the Avengers and run with it. We've been buying Big Finish products for over 20 years now, and the Avengers is one of the most consistently good ranges that they've produced. The feel mm. of it, the, the casting, the way that it's mm. been... Faithful mm. to the source material where they can. Yes. We're very, very positive about the, the Avengers range. It's, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's lovely now to have the complete Series 1 on my shelf in some form or other. Yes, indeed. Wouldn't argue with that. And I do have a copy of Too Many Targets. I've got the CD upstairs. I've not heard it yet. I'm going to wait till I've got to the end of the run and then treat myself. Yes, it, they did a very, very good job of it. They really did. The, the book is, it isn't a long book. It's a very short novel, but nevertheless, it takes a lot of time. And I, I, th I think possibly if you just condense the book, no, not the condensed is the wrong word. If you just recited the book from its opening title to the end, it would probably take you, speaking at a normal pace, probably about three hours, I would think. Mm. I think they condensed it, if memory serves, I think one hour, 18 minutes or something, which is an incredible feat. But they did it, and they lost nothing by doing so. 
Just as a final point on the Avengers, of the people that you've interviewed, dare I ask, who was your favourite interview? <laughs> um, yeah, I've interviewed so many. Obviously, the stars. I, I won't class Patrick McNeil, Linda Thorson, Diana Rigg, Honor Blackman, and, and the short conversation I had with Ian Henry at Patrick's This Is Your Life. I'll leave them to one side because most of them became not friends, but colleagues, and we spoke to each other regularly. Mm. I mean, particularly Patrick, as you know, I ghosted Patrick's book. So I suppose it has to be, and she had a book published this very week, Sid Child, Diana Rigg, and Linda Thorson's double on the series. Stunt double. Yeah, a lovely lady, an absolutely lovely lady, very positive and very, very protective of the Avengers and New Avengers, because she also, I've just realized, she also doubled Joe Lomley in the New Avengers. Lovely lady, and I send her emails all the time. I did one this morning because she, she published yesterday, I think it was. Very, very protective of, of the Avengers, you know, very, very protective, and quite right, too, because she was there. And she's a good interview, I promise you. Nice. Have you interviewed Leonard White? Is he still with us? Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe don't hold me to that. He may have passed, but I don't think so. He was there on day one of Ian Henry right the way through to the end of the Blackmans. Well, he was there on Police Surgeon as well, I think, wasn't he? Oh, of course he yeah. was. Yes, yeah. But but there again, you see, I mean, the Avengers and the Police Surgeon really have no link other than the actor Ian Henry. People tend to believe that it was a continuation, but it wasn't. I mean, the names of the characters are different. It was written by different people. It's one of these big question marks over the Avengers. And, and certain people have perpetuated the idea that Police Surgeon begat the Avengers. Well, it only begat the Avengers because they knew that Ian Hendry was something they, they needed to hold on to, the, the, the studio. Mm. And what can we do to keep him here? And obviously they gave him a very big salary and gave him a brand new series. And he was the star. I mean, at the time, he was a, he was the star. Patrick came second in the, in the, in the casting list. So, yeah, I, I, that's why I never mention, only in passing, the fact that, that the ABC produced Police Surgeon and that begat the Avengers. That's all I've ever said. But really, no, there's no connection there whatsoever. Well, there's a, a very nice, it's, a, it's only a short documentary on the Canal Plus uh, complete box set, and it tells the story of Police Surgeon, and it's a fascinating, it's only about 15, 20 minutes long, but it's a fascinating little piece, and it, it explains how really? one led to another. As a final question, uh, in 1988, you also published the ITV Encyclopedia of Adventure, Yes, I did. Which we refer to lovingly as the Blue Book, and it's become a bit of a Bible. <laughs> Thank you for that. Oh, it, it's, uh, the, uh, it's the Bible for Archive TV fans. It's an absolutely fascinating catalogue of action-adventure series. But yeah. did it become a bit of a labour of love in the end? Oh, yes. I mean, every, <laughs> book, every book's been a labour of love, you know. And I, all, all I'll say is this. I basically told you the story as to how... I'm a secondary modern educated guy. I went to a secondary modern school, so I didn't have a great education. But here I am, if you like, the quote, the guru of the Avengers because of the books I've done, etc. And I really, in all honesty, I don't know how I achieve what I achieve. But what I will say, because people said, well, how come Dave Rogers did four or five books on the Avengers, blah, 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 and no one else can get a look in? That was nothing to do with Dave Rogers. What happened is after the first book was published and did so well, 
I was asked to do other books. I didn't, for instance, I didn't want to do the Avengers Anew, the second book in the series, based on the new Avengers. Mm. I didn't want to do it that way. I wanted to wait somewhere down the line and then do a proper full version of the book, because all that basically was is a glorified episode guide. But people asked me to do it, so I did it. And when that sold pretty well, they asked me to do another. At no time did I ever go to a publisher and say, look, I've got an idea for another Avengers book. Okay, it's a rewrite of what has gone previously, but there's a lot more interesting information in there because I've interviewed more people now and people have been more open. At no time that happened. They always came to me. And And I'm very humbled to say that I don't know why they did, but they did. And I've been a very lucky guy because obviously, as as you well know, there aren't many of those books out there. I mean, I published The Avengers. The first book was published in 83. I think possibly, I think that was April. I think late 83, Dick Fiddy of the BFI did a book on Simon Templar, The Saint. And I think that was it. We were the first two books in the marketplace. Then suddenly the marketplace opened and everyone was doing books on television. I have to say this. When I did the the ITV of of Encyclopedia of Adventure, the problem with that was, this is a, for instance, Thames, one of the biggest companies in the land, fed me a lot of documentation for a lot of their material. And and when we published the book, and I was at a weekend convention, et cetera, and people broke up the book. can't remember the guy's name, but he said, Dave, this is a mess. I said, what do you mean it's a mess? He said, you've got three episodes of someone's, I forget which series it was, that you haven't mentioned. What do you mean I haven't mentioned? Of course I have. I must have done. I've got all the paperwork from the company. He said, well, they've slipped up then. And that's the problem. There are faults with that book. There's no question that. But, but I mean, on the really popular material, then sure, yeah. It's, it's, I use it all the time. I forget. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad someone published it. Uh, well, it's uh, been a, an invaluable reference book. Uh, I well, think, thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. And I think the most fascinating entry to me is a, a television series I know nothing about, but it's just, it leapt out at me when I came across the page, is The Bullshitters. <laughs> uh, the, the fact that there was ever a series that had that title, yeah. just I, I am amazed by. <laughs> that somebody greenlit Actually, that. I know the one you mean. I'm pretty certain it, it, it wasn't a series as such. It was one episode of, of a, a sort of showcase series. And it, yes, it just sent up the professionals. You've just touched there on, on send-ups. Are you familiar with The Preventers? No. It was a one-off starring William Gaunt and uh, Moena Banks in the 1990s. And it was sending, oh, really? yes, it was sending up the champions. But oh, it, really? <laughs> How interesting. It was a half-hour <laughs> programme. It was very, very... It was, it, she'd got it spot on that, as a send-up. Uh, and the, the, in mm. fact, they, they included William Gaunt. But, yeah, it, it was... There was a, a very nostalgic period for all those professionals, uh, persuaders, the Baron, yeah. the Saint, in, during the 90s. And uh, I'm just glad that the material from that period is being given a loving touch now. It's being yes. released oh, yes. properly. An yeah. archive I'm, properly. I'm probably like you, Art. I mean, I've, I've got everything set up to record on anything that I see that I think, oh, how long is it since we've seen that? Or have I got decent prints of that? Blah, blah, blah. And I just record. I, I record possibly four hours every day, even now, because there's so much material out there that wasn't available to me when I was doing the book. Again, you have to remember that I did the book before The Avengers was on DVD or, or video, sorry. 
Yes, uh, and looking back, it's uh, quite fascinating how you've managed to write these things yeah, with, <laughs> with no access I to magic. I haven't got a magic wand, I assure you. It was a lot of hard work doing the research, a lot of hard work. But nevertheless, as I say, and I, and I, I do kind of take pleasure in saying this to some degree, and I'm not an ego man at all. I haven't got a big ego, but I do take pleasure in the fact that I can say to people, well, I'll give you a for instance, and God bless him because he's a mate of mine. I haven't seen him in many years, but there's a guy named Mike Richardson out there who did a definitive version of a book on the Avengers. Problem is, it was a research book. It was a Bible. No no pictures because he didn't get authorization to do it. But nevertheless... He's dotted every I and crossed every T to the nth degree. But I'll give him his due. He's always acknowledged the fact that a lot of the material came from my books. And it has to, of course, because prior to my first book, if you wanted to do anything on the Avengers, well, you were very lucky to find it. There was nothing out there. Just to round things off, you've said that there were, you know, understandably, errors have been made over the years, and obviously, oh, yes. with, oh, e- yes. yeah. with yeah. each revision, the, these have been corrected and yes. updated and what have you. Which uh, I may yet correct, that's all I'll say. <laughs> but with regards to, particularly with, with season one, which is the one now that we know least yes. about, although strangely that's the one where there's most research published, when you were writing your original book, were those synopses taken from directly from the scripts and then they went missing? Is that, is that how we Some of them were, yes, yeah, some of them were. I think the best way to, to explain that is book one, there are four, if memory serves, there are four in entry synopses that are very short, maybe 100 words tops, whereas the rest were a full storyline. In a Complete Avengers, they were there complete. I updated them from scripts because when I started... No one said, hey, Dave, if you need a script to that show, come along and you can borrow it or you can have a copy of it or if we've got a spare, you can take one away. I mean, very, very few of the episodes I did were done from scripts because what happened is the copyright owner used to do a secondary page, if you like, and it was the storyline over two pages. And that's what I used, basically. That and the fact that, sorry, I've overlooked to mention the fact that I was privileged enough to take away four every time I went to Pinewood or Elstree. And uh, I had a mate here in Stoke-on-Trent who could convert them for me. He was a daband at that. So I was looking at the Honor Blackmans, complete with time codes and the spinning numbers and everything Mm. else, but that didn't trouble me very much long before long before the first book was published so i i could refer to those directly and were duplicates made of the scripts from say season one oh yeah the scripts the scripts were possibly 15 20 30 i don't know if if there were 26 characters in the show there would be 26 scripts a lot of the actors would take them home so somewhere out there uh, you know uh, the people who passed Perhaps they've got they've got this kind of material up in their lofts or, or storage room, whatever it may be. But certainly, I, I, I'll say this. I've never said this before, but I'll say it now because I know I'm free to say it. <laughs> script one, Hot Snow. Script two, Brought to Book. I have in their entirety. And the reason I have them, as I've also attached to them with a paperclip, is a little message that reads, loan to Dave Rogers to be sent back whenever needed. (laughs) Because I took them away from an archive, because I knew that uh, that archive I'd been in, I'd been in 
possibly months earlier, and I suddenly, re- my wife's nodding here, and suddenly I realised, I said, to her name is Celia, I said, see, didn't we see so-and-so scripture? And she said, yeah, I said, well, where is it? So I shouted over the archivist, and he said, oh, someone took it out a couple of weeks ago. Why? I said, well, it was here. It isn't here anymore. And that happened on a couple of occasions. So people were taking away the scripts and never returning them. Fortunately, I opened a big box, and there were some black and white prints of Ian Andrew, Patrick McNee, etc., from the show. Not many, but a few. And hot snow and brought to boot the first two scripts. And I thought, well, these ain't going to disappear. So I just rang up my mate, I think at the time, again, it was Lumia, and basically said, can I take these? He said, Dave, take them, but let's have a proviso that if we need them, we have them back. I said, okay. Well, on behalf of archivists and Avengers fans everywhere, thank you very, very much for everything that My you've pleasure. done. It's been um, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for giving us your time this morning. I think it's fair to say that without your research and your work, we wouldn't have half of the information that we've got today. That's, that's, that's out there in the public domain, and it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Dave. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. With thanks to Studio Canal, Piers Johnson and Dave Rogers. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee. And the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.